0: Hi, my name is David Speed, and I'm Adam Brazier, and this is the Creative Rebels podcast, featuring inspirational stories and practical
1: advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world.
0: Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been
1: a better time in history to make a career from being creative.
0: So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast
1: welcome back rebels hello how are you doing
0: <laughs> all right how are you
1: <laughs> all right i had a bit of a, a funny week this week it's been a kind of quite hard to get motivated i've had to kind of really reevaluate how i spend my time because it's getting to like 2 p.m every day and i'm just like my mind's just gone and i'm just like i need to, i can't do anything so i've right. had to kind of start doing the important things that i need to get done earlier in the day because then if it's like if i do have a bit of a kind of a mental flop around kind of like 2 3 p.m at least it's it's sorted out yeah you need to listen to your own podcast mate i know i do (laughs) mentally i feel like i've just been a bit kind of like i wouldn't say depressed but a bit kind of down this week and i don't really know why i don't know if it's just like the moon or something like that but yeah i just it's, it's a weird one I can't really explain I can't really
0: put my finger on what it is but well when we did the episode with the is this working the kind of main thing were, that came out of that is like you're going to feel so many different kinds of ways during this yeah Um. I mean I I think if I wasn't able to get to our studio every day then I'd I'd be absolutely screwed I wouldn't know what I was doing with myself but because I'm actually able to get out of the house and be around paint and just just in that space it puts me in a work mode as soon as i get through the door
1: yeah it's it's having that fun thing to go and do i suppose my fun things that i would normally do in day-to-day life would be to kind of like go out and explore places i haven't been to before or like get far away from home or do portrait shoots with people and like all of those things that i would normally do now aren't possible so i've yeah. been having to try and find new things to fill those fill those gaps
0: yeah it's it's i mean we sort of talked about this on the intro last week and and i think if i if my hands were tied and i was in that situation then yeah i'd be trying new stuff like the beat making thing Um, but i'm just in the position where i am able to actually double down on the things that i am good at so i can put my my time into that
1: yeah like i'm glad i have picked up like start to try a few different things because at least when it does get to those times when i'm feeling a bit down or in the afternoon i can just like pick up my iPad and do some drawing or like find something to do that is just a fun thing that doesn't really matter. I don't have to put much kind of concentration into. It's just like okay, I'm actually just finding something to do that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, I suppose what's difficult for you as well is because you're um you're so like target driven of like having to achieve things. Yeah. And all of a sudden where there's there's not really that much to be achieved. And so, although there's there's stuff that we're both working on, kind of podcast wise, business wise is a, is a lot quieter. Um, and so that that does it, it takes away your your sort of not not competitive, but like your your need to be achieving. Yeah. Because with me, but- I can I can like tick the canvases off. I can be like, that's another canvas that's added to the pile.
1: Yeah, I think it's like when you don't have. Like when you've got a goal of where you want to be in the future and you're always driving towards that. And then as soon as you, it's almost like someone's just put the brakes on for you and they're like, sorry, you can't go and do this thing now. You're going to have to wait. And that's, I suppose, quite frustrating.
0: I suppose the only thing you can do is work on the things that are going to, once that wait is over, that are going to pay dividends. Yeah, definitely. And I've been
1: listening to a lot more audio books in the past couple of weeks because I know I'm learning a lot from them. And i know i can put a lot of those things into action once all this is over it's the same as like when i go on holiday i'll always listen to lots of books and then get excited for the fact that when i come back i can then action all of those
0: things yeah definitely so i wanted to talk this week and i and i suppose in a way it does kind of segue on um from this chat but i wanted to talk about locations Mm -hmm. so obviously we talk to creatives from all over the world but Mostly when we do talk to them, they are in New York or they're in London or they're they're in kind of a major city. Yeah. And there are reasons for that. Like creatives flock to big cities because that's where opportunities seem to be. But we do continually kind of get emails and questions through from people that are saying, oh, I live in XYZ small town and and kind of um, how to deal with that. We got a message from someone recently who has has like a really chronic illness and is unable to leave their bed. And they were kind of saying, Do you think it's worth me starting this business? And I was like, Well, yes, a million times, yes, because even if it fails, then you've still learned something. But yeah. but kind of if you go into it with that, is there any point in me trying this? Then you've you've kind of lost from the start. It's like, yeah. Yes, try it. It may not work, but see where you where you go. Everyone is in exactly the same situation. So that person now all of a sudden is on a level playing field with everyone else because no one else can go anywhere either. And they can't book face-to-face meetings and they can't get in front of people and stuff like that. If you are in a small town right now listening to this, then I don't think that's something that should necessarily hold you back.
1: Yeah, I think like the future that we're moving into now is it's a lot more of a global market. There's a lot of YouTubers I know, especially who don't live in those big towns. They live in smaller places because they've managed to grow something from where they are, because they're not location dependent on what they do. I think if you can create something which isn't location dependent, and this is something that Daniel Priestley, our previous guest, talks a lot about, is making digital products that can sell to anyone in the world. If you can create content or create some form of product that you can sell to anyone, doesn't matter where they are, whether they're five minutes down the road or five thousand miles across the world. If you can create something of value, then it location isn't really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you do something that is in person, how can you turn that into a digital product? Is it possible yeah. to turn? And I, I think almost anything is pro- possible to turn into a digital version of itself. It may, might be quite far removed, but we've seen people doing yoga classes. Um, we've been booked for a couple of speaking gigs recently that are going to be done online. And and when it comes to speaking, I mean, whatever, you, whatever it is you do, You can't talk about it. You can let people know about it. You can teach people about it. And you can do that with an internet connection. You can do that from bed. Completely. Like If you can learn anything and you have an
1: internet connection, you should share what you're doing with the world because you're learning stuff all of the time. And if you can share that with other people, you can help them learn too. And if we can get into this cycle of just everyone helps everyone by everyone learning, it puts us in this really lovely place of...
0: People help all around the world, helping each other out. Uh, absolutely. And I think like you just have to have a lot of patience when it comes to that. When and, and I've been thinking about this uh, a whole load recently. So when we first started our business, we had to take every single job that came along because we had to put money on the table, um, money on the table. We had to put food <laughs> on the table. We couldn't be fussy. We couldn't say no to to people. But why I think is such a good business strategy is when you have the ability to not just say yes to everything that comes along and to actually be patient and to actually give loads away for free even though giving away for free does seem counterintuitive because when it's come to the podcast all we do is is give away for for free and the opportunities that have come into us through that for for speaking gigs and and various other projects it's like that has been more than enough to to kind of sort our wages out.
1: Yeah I think the digital landscape at the moment is really interesting because The last few months have really changed my perception on things. Previously, I would have said to be successful, you would have needed to be in a big town because that's how you meet people. The amount of people that I can go and meet because they're within half an hour on the tube away is amazing. But
0: then. Well, it it was really interesting recently, wasn't it? Like you you and me were having a chat with one of our friends and. and we were telling him, so I've had an opportunity recently where I just randomly met Goldie, the, the drum and bass DJ, yeah. slash artist, slash actor. Um, and he's asked me to to put some paintings in his gallery. And we were telling that story to our friend, and he and we were kind of saying, I was really lucky. Like, what are the chances of, of running into Goldie? And he was like, Well, it's not really that lucky. If you're painting a wall in Shoreditch, then there's a good chance that a celebrity is going to walk past and holler at you, which is what happened. Yeah, And like he, he was saying if you were in Yorkshire and you were doing it, then maybe that would be really lucky. And he, he's absolutely right. It's, it's by, by being in that place. That was why, that was why I was seen. But then the, the internet, like everyone's on the internet.
1: Yeah. It's like, I was talking to someone on LinkedIn the other day who have never met before, but, we instantly started talking i was like i feel like we should know each other because of the field that they were in and i was like let's have a let's have a a zoom coffee and like two months ago that would have sounded like the most stupid thing ever (laughs) to sit and have like a facetime and have a coffee with each other but now i feel like that's completely normal and like she said yes straight away and then at some point in the next couple of weeks we're going to have a coffee meeting which can still happen now because we have the internet because we're connected in a way that we were never really connected before
0: it's like online dating no one used it until everyone used it yeah Uh, like it you need that breaking point for it to not be embarrassing for you to say to your mates like oh yeah we i met my girlfriend online and it's the same with zoom calls it's like it's no longer embarrassing to go oh let's do that via Google, Google meets or zoom or whatever your platform is. Whereas before it'd be like, well, no, let's actually meet up. And it's like, that takes so much more time than just jumping on a quick internet call. I'd love to see the stat of if you interviewed everyone three months ago and said, how confident are you in front of
1: camera and then interview them all now, because everyone's been in front of camera so many times since people still not like it. Like if you have to do a work call and you don't want to be on there but you will be more confident than when you started and i think that's really interesting because it that, as soon as you get that little bit of confidence to tip you over the
0: edge that's where things become a bit more normal when everyone's just across the board more confident yeah it's good training definitely good training um and, and i think that during this time because this is something that i wouldn't really have advocated before but i think now we're moving to the time where like you need to come out and represent your brand. You need to be the face of whatever it is that you do. I think that the time where you could have just stood behind the brand is is kind of coming to an end just because the, the landscape is going to become so crowded with people who are willing to step forward, who are understanding more about digital marketing, online, having a presence, building relationship, building trust with people, that I think now's the time to come forward. And if you are one of those like me and Adam, shy, um, nervous, like not great in front of the camera when we first started. if you're one of those people, then now's the time to push yourself out of that comfort zone. and it is your inner comfort zone. like you've got to get yourself out of that space and push yourself to do something that you don't want to do that's uncomfortable. but I really believe that that's that's the way, like that's the key thing that's going to help people grow their businesses, especially in this time
1: and an example of someone who does those things really really
0: well is this week's guest Charlie Dark. Oh, perfect segue. Um yes indeed. Charlie Dark is and I I like this intro that I've written for Charlie is like is super gushing. Um but <laughs> I I like it's just we've we've called this episode Charlie Dark changed my life and that, that will if you don't know the meaning behind that term then that's explained later on in the episode. I I just think that he's the perfect person to to look at if you, if you're trying to engage people, if you're trying to get them to pay attention to the thing that you're doing. Um, I think he's a perfect example of that. So that was even more gushing, but um, Charlie (laughs) Dark is a musician, a poet, a yoga teacher, a speaker, and he's the founder of Run Dem Crew. With a creative career that spans three decades, Charlie knows all too well the ups and downs of being a creative. He's dealt with failures along the way, but this has developed his endurance and a knowledge of how to create something that inspires people. A lot of people ask us how to gain a following. A good start is to become a leader, and Charlie is just that. In this episode, we talk about facing adversity, the getaway bag, and getting attention.
2: What we're trying to do is get people's attention, because once you get their attention, they will give you their time. But a lot of times we ask for their time before we've got their attention.
0: Hi, Charlie. Welcome. Hello. Have you managed to not be kind of labelled as just the running guy? Because you're, you're a poet, musician, you're known obviously for, for fitness and running a lot as well, but like how, because it's something that we get asked a lot is I've got these other interests, but should I, should I only be posting about one thing? Should, like, I, should I only be known for one thing? And it's like, I, I've, I always struggle with answering that question.
2: I think what I have is the benefit of age. And so I remember a time when you had, well, I remember a time when people did do lots of different things and they were celebrated for that because there weren't very many opportunities. So you had to take your, you know, your your money and your, you know, your creativity from different sources. I think what happened is once the world kind of caught up to what was happening in the underground, then suddenly people start getting put more into boxes. Like, oh, you're a DJ. That's what you do. And for me, the big thing for me is when Twitter arrived, I suddenly clocked that there now was um, this forum where I could talk about all of my interests and how they connected together. And that was the thing that really kind of, I think that helped make Run Them Crew kind of stand apart from maybe some of the other running clubs that were around at the time, is that we weren't just talking about one thing and we were actually highlighting the fact that we were a group of people that had lots of different interests yeah you know and so i've always been one of those people who's always chopped and changed and just been quite curious about doing lots of different things and then trying to share that information with other people yeah because
0: with like the the themes that run through like every, well like when we look at your career as a whole it's like you can see the elements of hip hop that that pop into run them and and like It seems to me that like from from what I've heard about the crew, because as I said before we started uh, recording, like loads of people have recommended you to us, like Harky, Rosie Woods, people that come to (laughs) your like come to your events. And um, they've always said to us, like, it's it's not just running. And like, it is not like you're you're fostering like more than just we we turn up and we run.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that comes from being a DJ. I had my start being in, in spaces where they were filled with lots of different types of people in one space who had lots of different interests, but had a, had a common love of music. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been one of those people that tries to curate something that's a bit more of a 360 experience because everything that I've ever been into, there was, all, you know, there was the music and then there was the subculture that went with it. And until you really understood the subculture, you never really understood the music. And so yes. that's one of, my, one of my things where I'm very much about kind of, you know, oh, so you're an artist and you run. You do know that they're linked together. There, is, there are lessons that you're learning in the same way that drawing a picture takes structure and the process. Training for a marathon takes structure and the process. So there's a lesson that could be learned. And if you can take the lessons from both of these influences, then you can create this third greater power. And I'm always about people trying to really maximize their power and their potential. So, I,
0: I, I mean, I guess one of those, those key themes that would be running through all of those things, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be discipline.
2: Wow, that is a good question. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, self discipline is really important to succeed in anything in life. And um, awareness of self is really important. And so yeah, I guess I guess so. No one's ever ever asked me that before. That's a good one. I think um yeah, self-discipline and the ability to always keep turning the pages. Because Fun. look, I mean
0: I've I've heard you talk before about even in the in the music days, it was there were people who were in the ends and they that's where they were staying. And mm-hmm. and you you took the music seriously of like okay, if there's a music scene going on in X, Y, Z town, I'm, I'm going to go there. And we yeah. all know those people that we grew up with in whatever town that are still in that town, that are still in the same job, that are still doing the same things. So, I mean, that, that, that's discipline straight away is like, is like knowing that there's hustle to this. If I want yeah. to make something happen, then I have to put the work in.
2: Yeah, most definitely. But I think it's kind of just at the time that I kind of came out of school in the late 80s, You know, there was a really high unemployment rate. Government was in a, you know, pretty much a mess. And it's almost kind of, you had a bit of a kind of golden era in the early 80s. And then it got, life got really hard. And there was, you know, because the opportunities weren't there, you just really, really had to be clever and persistent if you wanted to make it out. And I think when you've been around enough casualties of people who don't make it out, you just say to yourself, I'm not going to be one of those. I can't. Because I'm not strong enough to survive what they're going through. So I need to get out. I need to go to somewhere new.
0: It's so true. I mean, for us, we started our our business in the recession of 2008, like the the aftermath of that. And it was the, it, it, the exact same thing. I mean, I was at a period in my life where I was just looking around. I was in these dead end jobs and I knew I was part of it. And I was looking at people that were five, 10 years older than me. And just realising, like, that's not the future that I want. I'm literally looking into, I'm looking through a door and I'm just seeing me, there's me in five years, there's me in 10 years. And it just wasn't the future that I wanted for myself. So yeah, had to, had to make the change.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, and it's, I think one of the hardest things that people have is making the change, is making the pivot. But I've always been one of those people who, you know, you know, for example, with the DJing, you know, when the, and the music, when the major label deal fell through I wasn't one of these DJs who was going to be like, well, that's all I know how to do. So I'm just going to keep soldiering on in this one field, even though the pond is kind of getting smaller and smaller. My thing was always kind of, there's skills that you've learned from what you've been doing so far, that if you're clever, can be taken into another arena because they've never seen those skills before. So they think you're like some guru. I'm like, oh my God, you know how to talk on a microphone. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, I've been doing that since I was 15
1: yeah it's funny isn't it as soon as you take yourself out of one audience and put yourself into another one it's like as an artist it's like if you're only posting art to other artists you can be judged very differently compared to if you show that to the general public who can't draw anything it's like they're going to think you're an absolute god whereas in the art community you might be seen as like ten thousandths down the pecking order
2: yeah i think a lot of people want to be good at one thing they want to master one one thing And they spend a large amount of their lifetime on this journey to try and be the best at that one thing when they could be good at many things.
1: There's something that people say where like instead of trying to master one thing, if you get like pretty good at three things, then those three things you put together, that makes you unique. Because if you're an artist, a runner, a DJ, it's like put those three things together. There's not many other people in the world who have those same three skill sets.
2: Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. Very true. Hanging out with loads of punks. <laughs> it's kind of, I think that's what gave me this kind of ethos.
0: <laughs> that's really interesting, actually, because, because yeah, I mean, creativity is obviously taking like different elements from different places. And, and for me, like the last thing I would expect you to say is like, yeah, I took that ethos from punk. It's like, I would, I would expect you to say like, oh, I got it from hip hop because like I know your background and, and my wax days. And it's like, yeah, you, you're like, not being closed-minded, you'll take influence from anywhere.
2: Yeah, I think punk culture was just a really big influence growing up. And so when I started going to warehouse parties, where there was this kind of meeting between the punks and the kind of hip-hop kind of communities in, in these spaces, you'd end up after these parties at someone's house and they'd be, you know, they'd be a t-shirt printer. And then they had this other business they were doing and it was, and they were all doing it from their houses, Mm. And they were using whatever means it was. You know, if they were getting unemployment benefit, they were like, right. Well, how can I flip this thirty pounds a week into three hundred? And so that was really inspiring to you know being around people who were just like, I'm doing this from my house. You know, the the birthing of bedroom culture was really really important for me, and that's that idea of kind of once you've blagged your way into enough parties you kind of learn the art of blagging in other areas. <laughs> <laughs> and so I met Malcolm McLaren when I was 19 on the first day of my hairdressing job in Soho. Wow. And he basically came in and I was, t- I was so gassed about the fact that I'd, you know, I'd met Malcolm McLaren and yeah. I'm there and I'm kind of washing his hair and we're getting him ready to get his hair cut and I'm talking to him. I was just like, wow, you know, you made this album that was really influential in my life. It's got a really amazing record cover. You know, it's the duck rock album, which was kind of his exploration through hip hop. And on the cover is this amazing radio with cow horns coming off and aerials. And it just looked exciting. And I was just like, man, that's really cool. Where can I buy that? And I just always remember, he kind of looked at me with this look of, why would you want to buy it when you can make it yourself? Oh, and he was like, I remember him saying to me, he's like, if you ever want to do something, just do it yourself. Do as much as you can yourself and then start looking around at the best people who can help you get to where you want to get to.
0: And so, We might as well stop the interview there because that's it. That's, <laughs> got, that's it, isn't it? That's the, that's the key. That's the key.
2: Yeah, that was the key. And that was a really big moment. And then after him, Tim Westwood came in. And I always say, say, tell people, is kind of, at that time, Westwood was the number one DJ in the UK. Yeah. And he comes in and I want to talk to him about hip hop records. And he's talking to me about stocks and shares. <laughs> and so what was really weird about that moment, it just kind of, it was like, oh, so people have a public persona and they have a private persona. You can learn a lot from the private persona. So don't get too excited by the public persona because there's always a deeper story. Yeah. So that day I literally kind of went back to my house in South London. and was just like, right. Okay. I've got this bedroom, it's you know six foot by six foot, it's tiny. What can I do in here? This is no longer a bedroom, this is a studio, no, this is a studio. Opportunity. Is a, it's an ideas lab. It's a, and I was really kind of devouring Face magazine, ID magazine, all these magazines that were coming out around that time that just had information about places I hadn't either been to yet or people I didn't already know and it just became this kind of passion to find out as much as I possibly could so that I could decide how I was going to navigate in this world that I wanted to play in i suppose now
0: the the internet has like kind of lowered that that barrier of entry it's like you can still do that now but you just don't need to put in half the amount of effort as yeah. you would have had to have done because for me like i'm i'm thinking back to to sort of like my like my younger years of like i I was painting graffiti but that was really the only kind of driving thing in my life there was nothing really else that was of any interest to me but like i didn't see that way out like you saw and it wasn't until the internet came around that i I actually realized because that was what that was what i needed to open my mind because i i looked at magazines and and that seemed so
2: other to me yeah 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 i think the internet for me, because I remember a time when it didn't exist, so for, for me, it was kind of like, this is the best library in the world. And I've already got research skills. I used to work for Channel 4 on the show called The Word as a TV researcher. And you really learned about how to do your research then. And so when the internet came around, it, already I was like, right, this is the method of how I'm going to use this new tool. To get the information that I need. I think one of the problems that people have is the bar to entry is so easy now, but a lot of people don't have research skills. So they're allowing the algorithm to tell them what they should yeah. follow. Yeah. So they're not finding these small gems and these people who are doing things slightly differently. And yeah. I think coming up in the music game, it wasn't about emulating what other people were doing, it was kind of taking the blueprint, flipping it, and trying to add your own take on it. Yeah. And so you'd have these moments where you'd like, you know, the first time you heard someone time-stretching on a, on a drum race on a jungle record, you were just like, well, how did you do that? You know, what did you do? How, like?" And you'd be figuring out, trying to work out how they did it. And then eventually, you know, if you were lucky, you'd meet them and they'd have a conversation and they'd deem you cool enough to keep the secret. And yeah. then they would let you know. And there was this whole idea of, We've all got the same equipment, but how can we use it differently? And then share yeah. that information. There was a lot of open sourceness amongst small collectives of people.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you say that open source, because, like, that when, when I think about Rundem Crew, like, that essentially was open source because it's like it, it spread worldwide. Um, was, that, was that important to you to, to kind of? have that sort of accessibility to it?
2: When we first started Run Them, we never thought it was going to be as big or as influential or as global as it has become. It really was an immediate initiative to just try and keep my friends alive and try and help them embark on a healthier journey to follow in my footsteps. With the international thing, it was one of those things, again, much like the music, side of my life where when i went i went to ghana in the in the mid 80s i got sent to ghana by my parents to chill out because i'm in my bedroom i'm playing public enemy you know, I'm, not <laughs> to, I'm not wanting to be a lawyer or a doctor you know i'm rebelling against school i'm just rebelling against authority and the norm and my parents have
0: with Ghanaian parents was that was that kind of were you feeling pressure of like oh law school yeah. and that yeah
2: yeah, I, I always tell people I grew up in the Bermuda Triangle because my parents are from Ghana, very traditional. Well, not very traditional, but education was a really big thing in our family. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in an area that was at the time was predominantly West Indian. And then I went to a very kind of renowned English private school because I got an assistant yeah. place to go. With, you know, the kid from the hood, let's bring him in. And so you kind of spent a lot of time trying to find out who you were. Yeah. You know, trying to find your identity and find your voice. And that's one of the reasons why I got into DJing, was because essentially it was kind of people listened to me when I DJed, that gave me their attention. So with Run Them, we started finding out that there were people around the world who were also doing what we were doing. And I suddenly realized is, this is like hip hop. This is like when you got sent to Ghana in the 80s, thinking there'd be no hip hop there, fighting about going and then arriving and then finding a local hip hop scene and then. People- people who thought that you knew what you were talking about because you were from London and you had Mike Allen and Tim Westwood tapes.
0: Really? So you're just like, you're just like the king, like <laughs> everyone's coming to Seriously. you.
2: Seriously. But- the funny thing about it is I got sent and then I eventually got sent back and then got sent back again and got sent back. So I got sent back, back and forth three times because each time it was just like, oh, I can't deal with this boy. I don't understand him. You know, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't want to follow the path that laid out for him. We'll send him to Ghana. Oh, he's in Ghana. He's breakdancing, He's like, you know, he's DJing. He's doing all this stuff. He's like, we're sending him back. No, he can't come back. He's not that to you. that um, sounds like
1: sending someone who's got an alcohol problem to an off license yeah, to kind of recover. Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and so when I, so I always had this sensibility of whatever you're doing, wherever you are in the world, there's someone somewhere else in the world who's mo- more than likely to be doing it as well. Doing it in a different way. So, you've got to connect with those people. So, we found out that there was a crew in New York that were doing a similar thing. And I was just like, right, I'm just going to send them a a message and, you know, see if they're interested in meeting up. And I've always been really fearless about calling, cold calling people and getting in touch with people. And that was something I learned from my Moax days where. Yeah. where you didn't have this access to artists that you have now. So if you wanted to get hold of someone, you either had to wait backstage or you had to write them a letter or you had to find out the telephone number and be brave enough to just call them up. And I remember seeing James Lavelle call the Beastie Boys up. He came into the office one day, he was like, I'm going to make a record of Beastie Boys, like the biggest hip-hop band in the world. And we're just like, yeah, all right, okay, that's another one of your crazy ideas. It's important to have someone in your circle who doesn't understand the concept of no.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: When you're building your team. And so what I learned was kind of, you know, you can have your conservative people who steer you back on track, but you've got to have that one person who's always pushing against the boundary. And he just called them, He found out the number of the Beastie Boys. He called him up in the studio. And he was like, I'm James Devell. I'm from London. I'm a fan of what you do. What are you saying? We're all sitting in a room like, oh my God, like, you know, the biggest hip hop band in the world I'm <laughs> on the end of the telephone. And it just taught me a real lesson, just kind of be fearless. The worst that someone can say is no. And if you're offended by them saying no, then that's actually your ego being hurt, not your heart. And I think a lot of us, you know, we want to get into the creative field, but we don't understand that in the creative field, your ego gets challenged every single day. If you're not prepared to do that, don't get into the industry. Cause it's why it's called the creative industry and not the creative funhouse. <laughs> you know? And I, and when I work with young people, that's one of the things I say to them is a lot of the problems that society has and young people in particular have is because of ego. You looked at me funny, what are you looking at? You stepped on my shoe, what are you looking at? Oh, now we have a problem. And because I don't understand conflict resolution and the only way I know The world has taught me is like, well, be macho, stand up for yourself. You don't have to stand up for it. Sometimes you just have to be like, okay, cool. You know, our opinions differ and that's okay. So I just learned lots of lessons during that time, which have carried me forward into later life. And by the time I did run them, that was like my fourth or fifth idea. And I always say to people is I had to fail and pick myself up lots of times before I finally landed on uh, the thing that I'm known for these days.
0: I think one of the things with like the current situation is, I, I, I found this really interesting. I read it recently about future fear. And uh, this person was talking about like being afraid of something that's not yet happened. Let's just sit in in the current moment and and like be grateful for what we have, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of what you're describing there is is the so many of us are worried by the future know that, we haven't even received yet, that we don't ask the question just in case we get the no.
2: Exactly. But I think when you've grown up surrounded by no's, eventually you just get to the point, well, I'm going to have to find a yes somewhere. Yeah. And growing up, you know, when you've got parents who are like, you're not going to be a DJ. That's not happening. No way. And so you have to then go above and beyond to prove your passion and to prove that you can make this work. And that's yeah. really important. You know, again, I always say to people, because I have young people that come to me all the time, is like, my parents don't support what I do and they don't understand what I do. They're not supposed to. It's not Netflix. It's not kind of this thing yeah. where your dad's like, oh, I'll help you. I'm going to give you whatever you need. No, that's not the everyday existence. And I think if you think about lots of the people who have had long lasting careers or have been superly influential, they faced a lot of adversity when they first started out you know and that's really that's part of the learning process
0: yeah 100 percent. It's, it's the adversity that shapes us that that gives us kind of the grit to actually carry on and be successful in the future because it's, mm-hmm. it's not until that you've you've overcome that stuff that when i suppose then the the next challenges that come that's when they're easier is because you know what you're in for you've been you've been punched in the face before you know what to expect it's like okay bring it on here we go
2: Exactly. Until you get to the point where you actually enjoy being punched in the face. Because there's a, I, I took up Muay Thai boxing about seven years ago. And I kind of, so you, do, in,
0: you do enjoy yeah. being punched in the face.
2: <laughs> I walked into the gym just kind of and tried to fight how I thought you're supposed to fight. So, what I'd learned from films. And once they break it down to you and they teach you how to absorb a punch and how to see a punch coming, it's actually kind of quite liberating to. Put yourself in a position where you can take a blow, and know you'll be okay. So if you're trying to get into the creative industries and you've never had a no, you don't know what it feels. Yeah. And this is what I find with a lot of young people because it's so easy to blow up quick. Now you can literally go from your, you know, I'm doing photographs in my bedroom on my iPhone. I've learned how to use um, Photoshop from YouTube, and now I'm getting booked for my first shoots. Oh, hold on a minute. Now I'm facing an obstacle because I'm no longer the young kid in my bedroom, I'm now like someone who's got pressure on my shoulders. Oh, now I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. That's why so many people burn out really quickly. That's why I don't really get excited by people in the first three years of their career because that's the kind of, you know, the genesis, the spike and the down. I want to see what happens when you have to start coming back up. Yeah, 100%. You know, a lot of times I think we celebrate low-hanging fruit too much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's actually... Let's actually achieve something first, yeah, before we get the the accolades. It's like I, re- I remember when before this podcast existed and I was chatting to someone who uh, I knew what I wanted to be a guest on the show. But I, I just feel like people are so full of like big talk that I didn't want to be one of those people. So I didn't mention the show because it didn't exist yet. And because, and you, you know, you always get those people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be doing all these things. And it's like, I didn't, as soon as you, you say that to someone, you can see the light click off in their head because they're like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, of course you're going to. And it's like, I had to actually do it. And now now when I'm in those conversations, I can be like, oh yeah, we've got this podcast. It's a thing, it's successful. Like, hit, hit, like." and then I can speak confidently with it. But until that point, I just I just wouldn't mention it. I wonder how much of that is kind of the just a delivery of confidence. Because if you
1: say, oh, I'm going to do something, You're not oozing confidence, whereas like now if you said, I'm going to release another podcast to someone about whatever, you would go into it so confidently because you knew you could do it. I feel Mm -hmm. like it must be that internal thing, isn't it? Of like, if you if you believe it, it's going to ooze out of you as you're saying it to other people.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I knew we both knew that we were going to make a successful podcast. But you didn't because you weren't confident enough in telling that person i wasn't confident i was I was so confident in the podcast, but I knew that I, like too many people chat too much shit so <laughs> I knew, <laughs> yeah I knew that that like you would just sound like another per- like I was a supremely confident in the show because we like we had a plan of launching at number one and we did it like I knew the show was going to be a success but I, I just didn't want to, to be another one of those people or sound or appear like another one of those people. I'd rather prove it first.
2: Yeah. I think there is something about we're in this age where people feel very pressured to be telling people that they're doing stuff. So whenever you ask someone what they're up to, they reel off this long list of- I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Yeah. I'm so, I'm doing all this. I'm doing this and doing this. And I really like, you know, when I get asked that question, just saying, I'm not doing anything. Because then everyone suddenly starts listening because they're just like, oh, I can't believe that you're not doing anything. So you must be doing something, (laughs) you know? And that's not like saying to people like, oh, I'm doing loads of stuff, but I can't tell you about it. It's just generally being like, what I'm doing is on a need to know basis. And when it's ready, you will know. Because one of the reasons why Random Crew was a really big, was a big success is because we incubated it for a year before we told anyone that was happening. So by the time it happened, People started finding out. They were like, how long have you been going for? Oh, we have been going for a year. And then there's this almost this feeling of like, ooh, there's this party that's been going on that I haven't been yeah. invited to, that you I know. didn't know about. And again, that's just a lesson that I got from my early DJ days where not everyone knew about the party, but everyone knew about it after it had happened. Yeah, 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 Smart. And that kind of creates this kind of anticipation and awareness and attention for the next one. Because ultimately, if you're really being clever, what you're trying to do is get people's attention. Because once you get their attention, they will give you their time. But a lot of times we ask for their time before we've got their attention. And so, you know, you wonder why, you, you know, you wonder why this thing spikes and then disappears. Brands do this all the time. Big activation. And then they just, you know wait Because I mean? there's yeah. not enough of the lead up, you know?
0: It's so frustrating because, I mean, we're like, for our living like uh, we're involved in a lot of those brand campaigns and, and you sort of you, you get frustrated in the meetings because you're like w- like what's your objective here like we can help you meet that objective but you're you've got the message confused because you don't want to do this properly
2: well of course but that's because i think fundamentally a lot of people don't understand what is at the heart of their ideas from very day one with random crew i said to everyone this is not about running. This is about bringing people together. This is about community. And so, whereas during this period of time when the world is on lockdown and lots of run crews have kind of had to grind to a halt, our community is still together Mm -hmm. because it was never about the running in the first place. So we're just, you know, continuing on. And it's like, you know, what I say to people, if you want to get into the music industry, you're doing it because you love music not because you're trying to build a name for yourself or because if all that goes away, the, the question I ask you is, would you do what you're doing for free? If you like draw, if you've come from graffiti, which essentially is an art form where you don't really get paid. it's You're doing it because you're showing your skills and you like the process of creating these murals for people to see and it's cool to be anonymous. And if you've come from that, then it's kind of, you're not doing it because you want to be famous. You want to be known or you want to get free stuff. You're doing it because you actually like communicating ideas to people, translating ideas into a language that people can understand.
0: Yeah. It's like as soon as we went into lockdown, like I I got my canvases out. It
2: it was like no brainer, straight back to it.
0: Yeah. And what would you say to young people who
1: just
2: want to get famous? I can say it's very easy to get famous. (laughs) But famous for how long? Yeah. Go and read the Andy Warhol books and I'll see you in, you know, 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it's, 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 you know, what's really interesting about this period of time that we're going through now, particularly for artists and people who, whose livelihoods depend on people coming together. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, MCs or musicians and so on and so forth. The clever ones are thinking to themselves, actually, this is a chance for me to build a really intimate and strong fan base that I control, not the record company. The ones who are a bit more insecure about their position are just thinking, "Let me just build my online Instagram following as big as I can, as quickly as I can, by doing the most outrageous things that I can during this time."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But ultimately, when lockdown opens, do I want to see someone? Am I going to really be tuning in just to see people twerking on my Instagram screen, or actually, am I going to retune to the person? He was like right i'm a top dope super designer i'm going to teach you how to use photoshop
1: yeah so who's providing you the most value there it's and like providing you the most value is you you're getting like a short hit of like oh that's a funny a meme i'm gonna laugh yeah. at it for two seconds or yeah. someone who's going to provide value that is going to actually make an impact on your life that you obviously you're going to go back to that one
2: yeah because people even think you know like oh i've done well because i've had a career for 10 years you just get started like when you're talking to people like Quincy Jones, Stevie Wonder, like, you know, these dudes are like Herbie Hancock. What well, you're 80 years old and you're still packing out venues and you're still being talked about with even more, you know, respect than you were in your, in your teens. And you can look back and be like, I, I lived through that age and that age and that age and that age. It's like, it's like when you talk to people who are in their seventies and eighties who are under lockdown right now. They're cool. <laughs> They're like, what you you know? We just what we get to stay at home, watch TV, chill out, relax. This is like being in the war. This is cool. Meanwhile, everyone else is kind of like, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, how do I stay relevant? How do I stay relevant? How do I stay relevant? You know, it's. I think people really need to. I used to say to people, you need to do the life audit. You need to take a step back from your life and really try and trace. The moment that you got into your passion, right the way through, through to now, and what you will start to see is this pattern developing. You'll start to learn the things that you like doing and the things that you're good at doing and the things that when you do them, the bad things that happen as a result.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a
2: chance for you to kind of start, you know, almost ceo in your own life. There's lots of us, you know, we want other people to see our, our life for us. Yeah. And you can't, you know, ultimately, when you wake up in the mornings and you go to sleep, it's just you in the bed. 100%. We so, went deep there, man. Let's come back up to the surface. Woo! No, we're, we're, <laughs> no, we're going to
0: stay. We're going to stay deep. We're going to stay deep. Um, there was a point in your music career where you said that you, like you had everything that you wanted in terms of like physical possessions. Uh, then what happened?
2: Well, we got dropped from our record deal, which is... You know, in those days was really the only way that people from the hood could gain access to large amounts of money was through making music or sports. Those were the real two avenues that were there. So to have that rug pulled out for me was a real kind of like, whoa. And then what happens, I think, when you've led been led down this path where it's all about excess and more and having stuff to tell people that you have it, eventually you just wake up in a space that's really crowded with a world that's enclosing in around you and very little space for you to breathe so you stop breathing you stop taking in energy from the world and you just start living in this little kind of cave of stuff and I just remember looking in the mirror one day and just being so desperately unhappy and just thinking to myself and I don't know how to get out of this because I've allowed my passion the fate of my passion to be the hands of others." who are not as passionate about music as me, they're passionate about making money. Mm. And at that point, I didn't realize the importance of making money and using it in a good way. So I think for lots of artists, we're quite guilty about making money at first. Mm -hmm. And then once we do, we almost become oblivious to the fact that we're making this money and it's just trickling in. We don't really think to ourselves, well, what am I doing with it? If I'm just stacking it in the back bank for this rainy day, that's never going to happen. Maybe I could be doing more of that. You know, maybe I don't have to have four cars. Maybe I could just have two and I'll (laughs) still be okay. But I just think there's this idea of kind of, I suddenly realized that your value in society is not because of what you have, you know, externally. It's what you, you have internally. And if people can't see what you have internally, then they're not the people for you. If you only just want to hang out with me because I have a nice car and you're not interested in me having a nice heart, then really, our, our, um, our relationship's only going to go as far. It's going to a certain point. I need to look a bit deeper.
0: A lot of people look to you for motivation. How do you help people find that?
2: I try and help people find their motivation by just trying to be very real and trying to give people a path that they can follow, as opposed to just barking at them, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, there was a post that I put out this week, which is like, we're all going to be okay because there are harder things that we faced in our lifetime than what we're going through now. Let me remind you of some of the things that I've been through, you know, because I know that that's going to provoke you thinking about hard times that you've been through in your life. And then we meet again at the end of the post where it's like, together, we can get through this. If I just say to you, don't worry, people, you're going to be fine. Double tap, double tap, double tap, double tap, double tap. <laughs> you know what I mean? The double taps only serving me. It's not serving you. Yeah, you know, and so that's kind of my thing is always trying to help people find the most simplest path to move forward. Lots of times we take the most complicated path when there's a very very simple path that's right in front of us, and and because of someone who's come from an era where it was very complicated, and there were lots of gatekeepers. Now we're in the point where there are not so many gatekeepers. You, I actually just look at it. This is like a game. It's like a computer game in my life. You know, what can I learn today that can advance my life tomorrow? And I think just having the confidence to kind of break it down to people and be like, yeah, it really can be that simple. Just trusting the forces of the dark.
0: You mentioned there that post on Instagram, like you were really like honest with that, like basically listing your failures, like being dropped from a, I mean, quote unquote failures, um, being dropped from the record label, like uh, mashing up your A-levels and, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, do you you think like from going through those like now when you're in a crisis you're able to kind of zoom out because when we're in these jams they always kind of feel like it's the end of the world when it's happening to us like especially with like exam results when you're a young person like it just feels Mm -hmm. like the the walls are falling down around you yeah does that now give you the ability to when there is a crisis to to kind of sail it out a lot easier
2: yeah most definitely definitely but again. A lot of people, what I always say to people is like, I haven't always been this enlightened. Definitely not. You know, this is something that particularly became more emphasized once I went for my yoga teacher training, you know, and really learning how to meditate and just really learning how to center oneself and be with myself. Um, what I'm saying to people is this is the reason why you have to look at your past lows and learn from how you bounce back and use that information during this time. So. For many people, this is the first time that they're facing the, for- the prospect of, I got the big boy job and now I'm about to lose it. You know, they've never had to deal with that before because they've been cool so far. They've never had the thing of, okay, well, all I've ever done in my life is DJ and now I can't, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? This is the first time that lots of people have ever had to pivot. But as I always explain to people, by the time I got to this point, I'd mashed up the A-levels. I'd been at Channel 4, didn't get my contract renewed, had various record deals, been dropped, had the couple of big relationships that imploded, you know, had, you know, the, the very comfortable relationship with, you know, a brand, a patron, and had that kind of fall apart quite dramatically. So I've done my, you know bits of my hardship, and there's probably going to be more to come, but I'm definitely not sitting here being like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Because if there's anything that you should take away from this is you should always have the getaway bag ready. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of us kind of, we may be in our thirties and we're still acting like we're in our teens. So we're not thinking about, okay, well, if this thing that I'm doing now completely messes up, what can I leave with? Do I have my bag with the 500 poundage to just like restart again? Mm. You know, do I have my bag packed with the t-shirt and the getaway clothes? You know, do I have the ideas book that I've been filling with ideas so that if someone steals my idea or they're not interested, I've got another one that I can go to. So future proofing yourself, you know, it's like, you know, it's like trying to be like Will Smith, but not really thinking with Will Smith's process. It's not going to work for you.
1: I think that really comes down to how important education is in this time frame, because that's one thing someone can never take away from you, what you've learned and your knowledge. So mm-hmm. it's like, if you're an artist and all your, your gallery burns down and you lose all your paintings, you still have that ability to go and paint more. Whereas if you were just a collector of paintings and they'll burn down and you've got no money left, you can't go and get them again. So it's like learning those skills now, whilst the time's completely available to do that. It's like, yeah, keep learning.
2: There's no excuse now to not have information.
1: Yeah,
2: and I say to every young person that I know is like, look, and even increasingly more to a lot of the older people I know is like, the playing field is not level in the field that you're trying to get into. So please equip yourself with the equipment that you need in order to survive the journey. You're not going to go on the ski slope on the you know the ski jump ramp without a protective helmet. That could be quite dangerous. And I think a lot of times what happens is. You know, you get into your car, you put your seatbelt on. You're you're, you're you're, doing what you need to do to protect yourself through the journey. But then in other avenues of your life, you're not doing that. And again, it's because a lot of people don't look at their life as this 360, you know, thing that informs each other. They're so just thinking of it as like, okay, today I am this. And then tomorrow I am this. And today I am in this. It's kind of, no, they're all actually interlinked. With each other, that was the big takeaway that I took from running. Where actually started running, started to sleep better, started to feel a bit more confident about myself. So then my anxiety got better because now I just feel a bit more confident because I sit in meetings to be like, I ran twenty-five miles yesterday. What did you do? (laughs) Small victories.
0: (laughs) I think another thing that holds people back as well is is worrying about their starting point, and and really it's like obviously I can sit here as a like white middle-class male, but like. I've had my struggles, I've had hmm. my, my hardships, uh, but we all have. But we, you can only start from where you start.
2: Exactly. I mean, going to the school that I went to where predominantly white, very middle and upper class, I was surrounded by all these people who would, like, would spend a large amount of time kind of almost apologising for who they were and where they'd come from. And I was just, I've always had this thing things like, you know... You don't have to apologize from where you've come from. It's what you do with the privilege that you have. Yeah, That's the important thing. You know, I meet people all the time who are very, they're very, it's one of my things with Run Them, you know, because we have predominantly always been based in areas that are going through gentrification. So we've always had a good mix of kind of original residents and new people have moved in. And one of my, and and it was very, you know, purposeful, was this idea of like, if we could bring these two groups of people together, what they will learn is that they actually have lots of things in common and that they can help each other. Again, another lesson I learned from the dance floor because when you're DJing at these, you know, warehouse parties or whatever, you know, the most hardcore kids, people in the dance, don't start dancing first. You know, each person, group of people that comes, you know, the people who are just like, Oh my God, I'm in a hip hop jam. This is so amazing. Oh my God. Wow. They come in and they start dancing straight away because they're just excited to be in there. And then what that does is that gives energy to the people who maybe do know how to dance to be like, let me get on the dance floor and show them how it's done. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, this like each little group of people, you know, the models get up on the the table and they start dancing on the table. And it's like, oh, now each of us is kind of framing this moment for each other. So we've all got this contribution.
1: Yeah, because without everyone in there, it would be nothing. If there was just someone dancing on a table and the room was empty, it would be like, all
2: right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember being at school and then everyone's parents started getting divorced. But I'd come from a like, single-parent family, so I was just like, oh, cool. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. You're going to be cool, you know? But even just seeing that, these people in these like you know seemingly very solid relationships breaking up left a really big impression on me and it made me realize it's like we're just the same. You know, you don't like your parents. You're having a hard time with your parents because you're rebelling. Guess what? I'm having a hard time with my parents, you know, because I'm rebelling. You live in a mansion. I live in a council flat. We've got something in common, you know.
0: You mentioned earlier um, about the yoga and sort of how foundational that's been since you discovered it. Mm. it. Like in what ways? What? What? How's that changed you?
2: For a long period of time in my life, I thought that running was enough. That Running if you could just introduce running to people's lives, and you know,
0: because because running like dug you out of depression, right?
2: Yeah, it did. Yeah, it dug me out of a very deep depression. And so I thought running was a savior and all until I realized that Run Crew was beginning to become increasingly filled with more and more vulnerable people. And we had, a, you know, we had a couple of people take their lives in the crew. And that was a really big wake up call. Like These people need more than just running. Running's not enough. So when I, because running, you're always thinking about the future. If I do this now, I'm going to be better. I'm going to get faster. I'm going to get quicker. I'm going to get fitter than I was yesterday. Yoga teaches you to accept who you are now and enjoy the moment of now. Mm. And that's really important. A lot of times we dream about this life that we've always wanted and it's actually happening in front of us. We don't even realize we're not enjoying it. And I think that just adding in this idea of connecting what your body's doing physically with how it's feeling mentally and how it's, Functioning spiritually, when I added that into the running, it was like, Oh, hold on a minute, we've got a new dish that we're cooking here. Now we've got a few because I was meeting all these people who, like, they're like, I love what you're doing, but I can't run. I love what you're doing, but you can't run. Well, with yoga, you could just go in there and just lie on the floor for the whole for an hour and just (laughs) actually pausing your life for an hour and being at one with yourself. That's pretty good. So it was just a really, um, it was just had a really powerful effect on me because we carry so much trauma in our bodies and so much memory from our past from our what our parents particularly if you're in living in the in the UK and your parents are from another place. They've come here to follow this dream that they've been told the streets of London are paved with gold and you have got to come here and it's and then they arrive and it's like it's not like that at all and it's really hard. And then you have these kids who are just like jalof Rice, nah mate, I want some fish and chips. And this it's like all these, this, suddenly this cultural rebellion is happening in your house. And so, and so you carry all this trauma in your body, you know. And so doing yoga allows you to release this trauma and allow yourself just to be free. I advise it, to, I, you know, if I was doing random Crew now, we'd probably have yoga then first before we had random. Yeah. Because I, particularly in a period like this where I'm realizing as a community of people, Runners were really unprepared for this moment. Yeah. You know, they're just like, what do you mean I can't go and run outside for as long as I want to? Yeah. And, you know, I'm cool. I'm like, oh, I'll just stay at home and run a little bit less, a lot less, do more yoga, yeah. bit think, more meditation, whatever.
1: I think it's interesting. Quite a few people that I've talked to in this time, it's like everyone who's okay, everyone who's doing all right at the moment has a multitude of different things that they do. No one's just like that person who does that one thing. Because, yes, you do have all your eggs in one basket. As soon as that goes, it's gone. And it's really interesting how, I haven't really thought about it, but, yeah, everyone who's doing well now, yeah, has all those things.
2: They all have this, as I always say to my students, you've got to have a movement practice because the job that you want to do requires you to sit in a chair staring at a screen for long periods of time. and. You know, what I often do is I give my students on day one, I give them a piece of paper and I say, screw that up and put that in your pocket. And then on the last day we take it out and it's harder to unfold the paper because it's been wrapped up in your pocket. That's what your body's like when you're in the studio and you're just sitting in a chair staring at the screen. So you've got to have a movement practice and developing a meditation practice, or not even a meditation practice, but just the ability to just sit still for a period of time and breathe and be aware of your body. That's really good when you just need to kind of zone out and then come back to this problem that you're that you're facing. And I I say to them, it's like you cannot succeed in this field if you don't want to take on some very basic principles. In the same way that you go to art school and they teach you how to draw. Well, a good art school is going to probably teach you how to meditate now because you're going to need that because the job's more intense now. The stakes are higher. There were more people doing it. There were less opportunities. There's more money at stake. And especially now where we've got this period of time where the world has paused and it's going to restart, but it's going to restart in a very different way. I talking to having these conversations with a lot of people where they're just like, it's going to be cool. The clubs are going to reopen again. We'll just go back to doing what we were doing. No, I mean, I just don't think the mentality of the people has changed. It's changing. You've got all these new people who've never been digitally savvy before. But because they're at home and they've got this time, they're now learning this new skill. Yeah. So there's now loads of new influencers. There's loads of new everything, loads of new graphic designers, loads of because they've had the time to incubate. So, how are you going to stand out, you know, with this new breed of people coming through? How are you going to make yourself unique? How are you going to be individual?
0: How do people stand out?
2: I think by being authentic. To themselves and what really got them into their passion. As I say to everyone, take a piece of paper, write a letter to your 15 year old self and tell him what you're doing. And then write another letter, which is about how do you want to be remembered when this is all over? Because I think, you know, do you want to be remembered as someone that basically closed up the hatches and disappeared? Or are you someone who basically wants to be remembered as someone who contributed to solving the problem? And we all have the ability to help solve the problem in some way. And so that's how I I say to people is kind of, if you had a project that was your dream thing before, you might think to yourself, well, when the world reopens, that angle that I was approaching it from might not be relevant. So maybe I need to shift it slightly. So one of the things I'm looking at is, community has always been a buzzword for kind of quite a few years. But now there's a lot of brands and companies who are realizing actually, If you don't make the community sustainable, it can be wiped out, you know, in the space of one announcement. So now we're going to really need the community leaders and people who really understand what it's like to activate people and bring them together and to maintain and to nurture and to empower. There's no point in having a community if you're not empowering it. And I think those people who understand how to empower people with information and knowledge and vibes are going to become really important now and that's what i you know, what i'm saying to even to what i'm talking to all my friends you know i have got friends who are kind of you know ceos or in really high positions of power who are freaking out right now and i'm just like you're going to be fine because actually you get it you know because if the one thing you can take now it's much easier to keep control of a small community right now than it is to keep control of a big community right now so i think people are going to start realizing that actually these small micro communities are actually more powerful than we at first thought that they were. Fucking hell, man. I feel so fired up. I don't know about <laughs> yeah. you. Adam. I just
1: feel
0: like... Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, again, as I say to myself, you know, because one of the questions I've been asking myself as someone who's deemed as a leader and has a voice and a platform that people listen to is like, how best do I show up right now? And it's been something that's been really troubling me. And it was a thing that was actually making me slightly depressed because I was like... You know, I don't want to be out there being like, do this, do that, do this. What I'm realising is the private conversations with the people who you respect and care about, where you just remind them, you know what? You're doing good. I appreciate you. Like, I see what you're doing. It's really, really good. And you're going to be okay. you know, because you've got it. And just step into your light, because the one thing that's really good about this moment in time is, the world was really, really noisy and was crowded by the same voices saying the same stuff. But now, there were these new people emerging, new design studios, who, you know, new influencers, new insight companies, just new people with a different angle who've never really had a chance to shout before. And now, you're like, well, you know what? Stormzy, okay, well, he's disappeared. So let me go and listen to someone else now because You know, this he like he's not here right now. And I think it's really exciting because again, it's like, it's like punk. It's just like, right, okay. There's a little space here that I can kind of flex my skills in. Let me see what I can do. You know, and you you can see how powerful small things, no, really small thing. At eight o'clock on this day, come outside your house and clap. So you got to do. Draw a rainbow, stick it up in your window. That's all you've got to do. And already you're seeing the effects of that, you know? And these, you know, these are just small things, but we're just in, a, you know, in a powerful time because the people who can stay relevant are people who are good at motivating people and mobilizing people. The people who want to be mobilized right now because there are a lot of people there who feel very hope, helpless when they're like, I want to contribute in some way, but I don't know how to. And so what I'm saying to everyone is just because everyone is, you know, doing this during this time doesn't mean that you can't do something else. We need a varied and balanced diet to feed on during this time, you know, and it's really important for people like yourselves to put your bat signal in the air and put your beacon up and, you know, put your content out there, you know, because there are people out there who really need what you have to have to give to the world right now
0: well thank you i'm going to ask you a, a, an awkward uh, question to end um because it because it's so related to everything you just said there yeah um how do you feel about the uh t-shirt charlie dark changed my life <laughs>
2: you know what because it's um a kind of flip on the jay diller changed my life yeah um t-shirt i really love it and that moment the story behind it is my crew kind of made this book of all of the random crew moments, all of the pictures we'd taken, and they had this T-shirt made, Charlie's Art Changed My Life, and they surprised me by kind of turning up with them underneath their cloak, and then they kind of whipped them out, and they were suddenly in this room of people. It was a really, really special moment for me because the weird thing is when you're in a position like mine is a lot of times you just don't realise the platform you have, and, so, and you don't realise the, the, the impact that you're having On people's lives, particularly when you don't have lots of cheerleaders around you. And so that moment kind of reminds me of being a kid and being in my bedroom and looking out my my window at the older guys in the neighborhood who had escaped and who had these jobs in the West End and seeing them get dressed in the morning and seeing them go out to their jobs and then they, you know, then they come back and eventually they have the Triumph Stag and then they'd have the like Superfly Girl and then, then they'd get like, you know, a dog it was weird, you know, this kind of rites a passage and then having those moments with those guys where they'd be like, you know, Charlie, keep it going. You can do better. You know, have you thought about doing like, you know, giving little bits of advice. And I was going into a shop one day and there were a group of kids outside and they were pretty, you know, looking pretty intimidating. And I was thinking, oh, you know, what's going to happen when I get to the door of the shop? When I get to the door of the shop, well, one of them opens up the shop, shop door and he's like, yeah, boss man, go through. And I actually stopped. I was like, I started looking around. I had this little moment. I was like, who's he calling boss, man? <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah, man. Yeah, we're talking to you, boss. Like, come through. Like, come, you know what I mean? And I was suddenly like, I was like, wow, yeah, because I'm going to be 50 years old this year. You know, the kids see me in my neighborhood. They've seen the journey that I've gone They see me going out and do my marathon train. You know, they see me in my camper van. And, you know, they see my girl and the boss. And, t- and so I realized, hold on a minute, I'm now one of the older guys in the neighborhood who's having an impact. On my community wow maybe i have a minute maybe i am changing people's lives you know what in order for me to really be effective in what i'm trying to do i have to step into that light and i have to own that so as a musician particularly one from the uk you, you are taught to kind of be humble about your achievements so i was meeting people you know around the you know around the world to be like dude you know attica blues when that record came out i was at university and it got me through my exams. And I used to just look at it and be like, yeah, all right, mate, all right, yeah, cool. You know, Being really flippant about it. Until you start meeting people in the, around the world in very unexpected places, and they're giving you the full rundown of every record you've made or a podcast you've recorded. And then you realize, you're like, you know what? Don't be like one of those guys who when you were a kid, whenever there was a crisis, and you looked to them for guidance, and they had nothing to say. Actually, step into your light, Charlie, and own this. if if these people are telling you that you changed their life, then you better start thinking about what is it exactly that you did because if you can change the lives of this this group of hundred people in this room, mm-hmm. if you can harness and learn what you did, maybe you can start changing the lives of more people around the world and that was a really big moment in rundown where suddenly I was just like right, okay, global, global, not local, let's go
0: right.
2: you know and then suddenly it changed from being like trying to be this little cool underground thing to just being like, you know what, you run, I've got help for you, let's go. And, it, and then ev- all, you know, all the riches happened because suddenly these new conversations started to open up. I'd spent so many years standing in the corner of the party with my arms folded trying to look cool. And finally I was just, just like, you know what, I'm not cool. I'm just Charlie. And that was a really big moment for me. You know? And I think that was the thing that I'd been searching for in all of those years when I was looking in the mirror and I had all the material items I was looking around Was actually, I wasn't myself, you know? I'm wearing these trainers because they're cool but they're not really that comfortable, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. you know? So, um, so yeah, so, you know, it was a good moment. And I, I always say to people, and I've tried to foster this and run them, it's okay to tell people when they do good, you know? And it's okay to accept praise from other people. You're not a bad person. Because when someone told you you did good, you were like, thanks, mate. Wicked. Because otherwise it's like when you meet your favourite rapper and you're like, dude, man, you changed my life. And this lyric that you did, like, you know, sleep is the cousin of death Oh, Nas, man. When you wrote that, I didn't sleep for five years because I just (laughs) thought I had to be grinding. And he's like, yo, man. And you just come away really disappointed, you know. So the fact that people have bought into the philosophy and run them and they feel that it has had a big enough impact for them to go and, Give me that moment. is really special. I love it. It's cool. Everyone should have one of their, one of the, the t-shirts for the, themselves. They <laughs> change their own life. You know? <laughs> um,
0: this has been fucking beautiful, man. Like, literally, yeah. oh, Thank like, you, man. Really, it's been one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So um, oh, thank you. I think, I think we might have to call the, the episode title uh, Charlie Dark changed my life.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know, as I said, it's like, I follow you guys. I've been seeing what you're doing. And there was just, there was this one specific moment where I was just like, they get it. And they're really important. And it's kind of if you get a chance to give them some time to kind of, you know, speak to them, it'd be a really great to have a conversation. And after this is all done, and the world reopens, I would love to basically get you on my podcast. And I really want to speak to you about doing a workshop for people as well, because I think, and I don't know if, if you're thinking about that during this time, but one of the things I think, you know, you guys own a business that you have built and you maintain. Yeah. A lot of us have ideas but they're not really businesses mm. and so i think there's a, really a lot that people can learn from you during this time
0: yes we've we've got the businesses and they keep the lights on um but for us the important thing is helping people is impact mm. um and yeah. it's the past couple of years where we've started to realize that and that's what the podcast was born from and and so yeah wherever we can help we're yeah. we're down so
2: okay wicked amazing cool.
0: so um where can people find you online
2: people can find me at daddy dark rdc um d-a-d-d-y dark rdc (laughs) on instagram where you can find me at run.them.crew i do twitter occasionally i find it quite noisy so (laughs) instagram is my my my, my real my real places or you know come to one of my yoga classes if you want to come down hit me up i'll I'll comp you for the class no problem at all um or come down run them crew on a tuesday night you know amazing thank Thank you so much dude no problem at all, my friend.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at RebelsCreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.